Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. August 2nd, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Poor People's Campaign uh, took the uh, civil disobedience to Capitol Hill today. We'll show you more than 300 people getting arrested today as they implore, they implore Congress to move on the For the People's Act, the John Lewis Act. Major congressional campaign in Ohio featuring Nina Turner and Chantel Brown will be joined by Nina Turner right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Chantel Brown mm, refused to come on today's show. Um, we've got lots more, lots more to talk about. Let's get right to it. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, 
The acts of nonviolence, uh, civil disobedience took to the streets today in Washington, D.C. The Poor People's Campaign uh, continued their focus on raising awareness, raising awareness uh, about the For the People Act. But not just that, they also want uh, Congress to understand that they are advocating advocates uh, for more than just that. They also want them to be focused on $15 an hour, also protecting the rights of immigrants. And so they, they want to broaden that agenda. Some of the criticism that uh, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber has leveled uh, at uh, Congress is that they are very good at finding money and resources uh, for, uh, for uh, corporations, but not necessarily poor people. And so, of course, we, last week we were in Austin where they took the campaign there, but here uh, they wanted to uh, have their national moral money uh, take place uh, in Washington, D.C. Now, uh, more than 300 people, folks, uh, were actually arrested. Uh, you talk about um, totally different what we've seen uh, in the past. Uh, and so this here is some video. We were out there live streaming it. Uh, this here is some video uh, that we shot of uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, but also Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., Reverend Liz Theo Harris, Reverend Frederick Douglas Haynes III, uh, them being uh, arrested. And now I'm explaining to you exactly what happened uh, today. What they did today was uh, they actually did not use the twisty ties on each one of them or handcuff them. Uh, they actually uh, did color-coded uh, tape around, uh, around their wrist. Uh, and what they then did was they processed everyone on the scene because there were so many people. Previous protests that we've shown, they were actually led, uh, led away uh, and uh, to the police station. That was not the case today, again, because there were so uh, many people uh, who were out there. Uh, they really wanted with this uh, campaign to dramatize exactly what is going on in the nation's capital uh, and trying to put the pressure on Congress to do more, to step up. Uh, and so you, you, you have been seeing these actions take place. I'm going to a little bit later, I'm going to show you some of what was said at uh, today's march, but it really ties into what uh, progressives are demanding is for a much more aggressive uh, uh, action by Democrats. And one of the folks uh, who has been calling for that same sort of uh, aggressive action is Nina Turner. She, of course, is running to uh, fill the seat of retire, excuse me, of Marsha Fudge, who joined the Biden administration as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, Nina joins us right now on Roland Martin on the Vilcher. Nina, glad to have you. So first, I want to get your just thoughts on, on the, the, the constant uh, action that Reverend Barber and the Poor People Campaign believed in. There were five days in Texas last week. We were there Tuesday live streaming all of those different events. Now here in D.C., uh, they're making it clear that they want uh, Congress to understand that uh, they're not going to be silent and allow U.S. senators to go away on recess with no action on these two critical voting bills. Yeah, Roland, I definitely agree with uh, Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign. They are doing the right thing to put the pressure. I think it's really heartless or, or showing indifference to go on vacation and know that millions of people uh, will be suffering because they did not extend the moratorium on eviction and a whole host of other issues. So I support what Reverend Barber or Reverend uh, other reverends and other activists are doing right now to show force at our nation's capital. The, the what they're talking about that particular agenda in many ways uh, mirrors um, what you have been focused on uh, in in your particular campaign. Uh, they are focusing on fifteen dollars an hour, obviously the voting bills as well, but also protecting immigrants' rights. 
uh, and you have this battle that's really going on uh, right now, even within not just the Democratic Party, but even within the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, over the weekend, you had uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, you had, you had other, uh, other newer and younger progressive members of the Black Caucus uh, campaigning for you, along with uh, Cornell West, uh, your opponent, Chantel Brown, and she had folks like Congressman Jim Clyburn, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, and others. Uh, and they have been very critical of you. Uh, Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver said that they're more uh, pragmatists compared to other members. And so even within the Black Caucus, uh, you do not have folks marching as one. And so it's very interesting, this, this dynamic of how your race uh, is showing these uh, different factions, even within the Congressional Black Caucus. It's true. And although we're not homogeneous as a black people necessarily, except when it comes to voting, 90 percent of our votes in a holistic way go to Democrats. But I digress. It is important to understand that the, the founding of the Congressional Black Caucus and other organizations like it was based on the fact that millions of black people were suffering in this country and treated like second class citizens. The, the, the premise of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class still he, hits our community disproportionately in a harder and deeper way. This is a class and a caste fight, which is why what Reverend Barber and others are doing with the Poor People's Campaign, the 21st century version of that, is vitally important because we got to unite and link with our sisters and brothers and family and friends from all walks of life, all ethnicities, and all races. But when it comes to the type of suffering and the impact that it has, it has a deeper impact on the black community. So whether that's us being hospitalized at higher rates because of COVID-19, death rates higher because of COVID-19, um, when you look at income and wealth inequality, which is why the $15 an hour minimum wage fight is a righteous fight that has a class and a caste component to it. When you think about unionizing, when you think about uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, as you laid out, and the For the People Act, when those things are passed, it helps all, but it has a deeper positive impact on the African-American community because we suffer the most. And so to have um, leaders not believe and know that we need universal health care to increase the minimum wage or cancel student debt, that just doesn't comport with the reason why organizations like that were founded in the first place. Um, what, um, what do you make of uh, this uh, notion that you somehow uh, are, are a scary uh, candidate, meaning uh, that, that you would uh, come into Congress and be causing dissension within the Black Caucus. I saw uh, some of the comments uh, over the weekend, again, uh, the fierce campaigning that is happening on both sides. Well, you know, they, that's by some of them, they just want to try to caricature me. That's nothing new. We know that Black women have endured this uh, since the inception of this country. It really is a shame to see members of the Black Caucus uh, play into those types of stereotypes. I wonder, did they think that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was scary when he stood up against this nation and talked against about the three evils, militarism, poverty, racism. I wonder, did they think that uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, sharecropper from Mississippi, was scary when she united with her poor white sisters and brothers and family and friends in Mississippi and started a freedom party and actually challenged President Lyndon Baines Johnson and the Democratic Party in the 1960s and called them out for not doing a good job when it came to listening to the cries of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. So we find ourselves in that same scenario right now. And so people who want to uphold the status quo, they come in, in you know, in, in all in all phenotypes. And there's always people who want to uphold the status quo in every single generation. And we see that 
right now, right here. I wonder did they think Rosa Parks was scary when she challenged it? On and on, Roland. I can give countless examples of the very people that we come together to recognize and uplift right now in the 21st century. They were vilified and, and maligned in their time when they, too, were fighting against the status quo. When we uh, look at this particular race, um, folks, uh, obviously, will be going to the polls. Uh, what would, what do you see as the, the starkest contrast between you and your primary opponent, Chantel Brown? And first of all, let's be clear, uh, it's not just the two of you in the race. Uh, That's right. Is it, what, like 13, 15, 20, 50 people running? You got it about right. <laughs> There, there are 16 people in total if we count the three Republicans who will be in their own primary. But yes, there are 13 uh, Democrats running for the seat. Thank you for that moment of levity. You know, for me, I'm not just saying if something passes, I'll support it. I'm out there fighting for these things to pass. And whether that is Medicare for all, a million Ohioans lost their employer-sponsored health care since this pandemic. And if you add that with the crisis of under uh, people who are underinsured uh, or, you know, underinsured or don't have health insurance at all, that comports with what movement, the progressive movement and what I call the freedom fighter movement is pushing for. I'm not just saying that if $15 an hour passes, I'll vote for it. I'm out there in the streets fighting for it, have been doing that for over six years. I do understand from my lived experience how people who are poor, working poor and barely middle class feel and the needs that they have Roland, Cleveland, Ohio is the poorest city in the nation of its size. When you go and roll into Akron, 23% of the people who live in Akron are poor. We don't have time to play games. We need leaders who are going to stand up and have the courage to ask for more. And that is not in contradiction with working with somebody. Of course, if the administration does good things, if the Congress is working on good things, I'm going to be right there to be partnered with. But being a partner does not be, mean being a puppet, and working with does not mean acquiescing to. And if we look at all the greatest socioeconomic justice changes that have ever happened in the United States of America, it happened not because politicians got a clue. It happened because ordinary people put a little extra on their ordinary, and they pushed the body politic towards justice, the A. Philip Randolphs of the world, the Ella Bakers of the world. So these very people are some of the same people that were against even President Obama being president of the United States of America. These are the same forces. And Roland, let me make one other point. My major competitor is taking money from Trump Republicans. The owner of the Patriots have, has, in, has donated to her campaign directly and then indirectly donated to super PACs that are coming in here with that evil dark money to upset, disrupt, and pick their candidate instead of allowing the, the residents, the voters of this district to pick who they want to have. It is wrong, and if we let them win here, they're coming to a neighborhood near you. Uh, one of the things that uh, we look at these races, turnout uh, is always uh, an issue. And so uh, I was uh, looking at uh, these tweets uh, by Wyeth uh, Ruthven, uh, who uh, is uh, with the South Carolina, uh, first of all, who is, uh, you know, very much covers politics, follows politics. And this is what uh, he tweeted out. Uh, final Ohio 11 early voting numbers out of Cuyahoga. Uh, 27,199 ballots requested. 20,681 were returned. Uh, in Summit County, 2,431 ballots requested. 2,236 uh, ballots returned. Uh, he said, based upon these numbers, I'm predicting a total turnout of, of 40,205. That, that has got to be uh, unsettling. I mean, look, most congressional districts around 700,000 people. 
Uh, they have 16 people running uh, and turn out uh, that some say could be anywhere between 40 and 50,000. Uh, how, uh, uh, how are you and your campaign seeing turnout uh, in, this, in this race? That's pretty much our prediction, too, and it, it definitely makes me sad that people have opted out. I mean, here it is, a special election in, in the heart of summer. Most people are not accustomed to uh, voting in July. Early voting started on July the 7th, and the election day, as you're laying out, is, is tomorrow. So it's, it's really hard for people, and especially not just uh, having an election in the summer, but also with the pandemic raging and all of these things. So there are some compounding factors. That being said, even if we solve for those, we know that voters don't turn out in the largest numbers necessary during a special election. I want to work to continue, as I always have, to increase voter turnout. It is vitally important, Roland, that we have more people participate in the process than less. Our democracy is more robust. What people's voices uh, out there uh, voting is more robust. So it is sad. It is, all of us should be sad, no matter which candidate you're supporting, that so many people are deciding uh, not to participate in this election. And should I be the winner, I'm going to do everything in my power to leverage uh, my national experience, uh, to marry with my local experience, to really motivate and galvanize people to come out to vote. But we have got to give people something to vote for. So as we go into 2022, the Democratic Party would do well to heed the words of Reverend uh, Dr. William Barber and other leaders in the Poor People Campaign, other activists across this country who are crying out, saying that the people of this nation deserve more. We we have the resources to give them more. Let's do that so that Democrats can show clearly by their deeds that they are different than the Republican Party and that they will deliver for the people who suffer the most in this country. Roland, I am running because of love, love of the community, love of the poor, love of the downtrodden and the marginalized. And I want to continue my work in the halls of Congress. Last question for you. There have been a lot of uh, things thrown at you. Uh, a lot of people, I've seen the tweets, people uh, who have been very upset with previous comments that you have made uh, with regards to President Joe Biden, with regards to uh, VP Kamala Harris, with regards to Congressman Jim Clyburn. Uh, do you regret previous statements? Uh, do you think you were too over the top, too aggressive, or you simply stand by everything you said before? What I regret is that some people are more focused on colorful words than focused on the suffering of people. As I just laid out, Cleveland is the poorest city of its size in the United States of America. My sisters and brothers and family and friends in Akron, about 23%. What I regret is that folks went on vacation without expanding the, the moratorium on evictions. What I regret is a legal system that sees black men as more criminal than anybody else, and by extension, other people of color and then people who are poor. What I regret is that we don't seem to get that the main things are the main things, and that's what we should be focusing in on, and not some colorful words, and not a black woman's agency in the United States of America. And so, again, I am running this race to partner with anybody who is going to sit down or walk or run, whatever we need to do, on a justice journey to lift the people who are suffering the most in this country. And what I will say is that I am old enough to remember that on a debate stage during the primary, that now Vice President Harris called out the current president for his record on, 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 on busing in schools. And I remember her saying I was that little girl, and she laid out his record. Now they are side by side. So the moral of the story is, 
if now Vice President Harris and the president now can work side by side, even though they had some harsh words or she had some harsh words landed down during the presidential debate and nobody's upset about that anymore, then the people who uh, got the dandruff up can rest assured that Sister Turner can work with and looking forward to working with that administration on what is just, what is right, and what is good. I'm the dance partner for justice, but I am going to always put my district first. They are my first, second, third, and fourth concern. And lastly on that, I think people need to take another civics lessons because the Congress is not there. The president of the United States is not, of America is not the boss of the Congress. They are co-equal branches of government. And it is the job of any member of Congress, whether they're in the U.S. Senate or in the U.S. House, to advocate for their constituents and also to push the administration to do more, whether they are Republican or Democrat. And that is certainly what I plan to do if I'm elected. All right, then, Nina Turner, we still appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thanks, Roland. All right, folks, and for everyone who's watching, uh, we did. We extended an invite to Chantel Brown to come on the show, but she refused. Why did her campaign refuse? because they said that uh, we were clearly supporting Nina Turner because we were running uh, ads by Nina Turner. Well, there's a slight problem with that. Those were purchased ads, just like Chantel Brown and her supporters are purchasing ads left and right as well. Uh, I find it interesting that she's basically what they're saying is that we can't run paid advertisement, but other media outlets can run paid advertisements. So we would have been more than happy uh, to have Chantel Brown on the show. Again, I'm not from Ohio. I haven't endorsed anybody in this race. Chantel Brown's campaign was more than willing. They could have easily taken out ads on this show, and we would have, we would have run them on social media, run them uh, on my accounts, run them on the show, but they chose not to. That's not on us. So, so did anybody say, oh, no, you, you, you didn't have a fair time? No, we wanted, we wanted the top two candidates to come on today's show, but her campaign absolutely declined. On my panel, Julian Malvo, Dean of the College of Ethnic Studies at California State University, L.A., uh, Omakongo Dabinga, Professorial Lecturer, School of International Service, American University, Avis Jones de Weaver, uh, political analyst. Glad to have all three of you. Uh, Avis, I'll start with you. Uh, this has been uh, quite the contentious race. It's gotten lots more attention nationally. I mean, you look at these turnout numbers, it's got more attention nationally than, frankly, in the congressional district. Uh, absolutely. It's gotten a lot of attention nationally because this is a race that in many ways, I think a lot on the progressive uh, wing of the party are almost using as a litmus test. You've had people parachute in there, like AOC, like uh, I think Bernie was supposed to come in there. I don't know if he showed up yet. He did. But, you know, he did. Okay. Bernie was in there. Uh, also, some other um, individuals, I'll just leave it as that, <laughs> from that side of the party ha have, um, have sort of parachuted in there. And so their presence, uh, since they don't have any ties to Ohio, in many ways have made this a very national thing, in addition to um, some controversial statements, quite frankly, that were hurled against Representative Clyburn that were in people in interpreted as being rather insulting. And so uh, it has taken this outside of a district and made it in many ways a national race and perhaps to some extent a litmus test 
uh, on the power of the um, progressive side of the party uh, in order to be able to um, get that seat uh, versus uh, a, a Democrat that has aligned her uh, that has a, a stronger or longer uh, history with regards to her local activism in that specific area. Uh, and has aligned more politically uh, with the more traditional wing of the, of the Democratic Party. Uh, Julianne, uh, again, uh, Nina Turner has been a firebrand, big supporter of Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, that has not made a lot of uh, Democrats happy uh, with their previous comments, and uh, they've been using them against her uh, this campaign. You know, Nina, is, she is a firebrand. She's terrific. Uh, she's a friend. Uh, I've contributed to her campaign. Let me just put it out there. Um, and I love Jim Clyburn, too. But what the mainline Democrats have to understand is that younger Democrats are not prepared to play Mr. Bojangles with them. They want change, and they want it now. And that's where Nina is coming from. At the same time, you have the system who has done mainstream Democratic walk up the ladder, be the DNC chair or the chair of the local Democratic Party, also a good candidate, but as far as I'm concerned, you're really looking at the past and the future. What we're seeing in so many ways, Roland, in this race and in so many others, is the changing of the guard in the Democratic Party that many are resisting. Uh, Ten years ago, many of these Democrats would have stayed out of it, but now they're looking at the changing of the guard. Look at Cory Bush. I know we're going to talk about homelessness later. But, you know, why were there no more people laying out on the sidewalk, the streets, with her? And so Nina Turner is the face of the future, and it really is a litmus test, and people are going to read all kinds of things into it. But what they really need to read into it is that this is a woman who is determined to make a difference for her community, Democratic platitudes notwithstanding. Well, McCongo, look, the reality is this here. Uh, incumbents protect incumbents, all right? Uh, we saw this. Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus Political Action Committee actually supported uh, the white incumbent Democrat who ran against Ayanna Presley. She beat him. Uh, they supported Lacey Clay, who was the incumbent uh, who got beat by Cori Bush. Uh, so it's not like we haven't seen this before. This, though, is a little bit different uh, because I think Black Caucus members have been a lot more aggressive and, again, have really been upset with some of the comments that Nina Turner has made, especially what she has said about Congressman Jim Clyburn. That was a, that was a, that was a forum with Killer Mike uh, earlier this campaign where he said that uh, all uh, Clyburn got out of, out of his endorsement of Biden was Juneteenth, and he could have been a lot more aggressive on policy. That did not sit well with uh, CBC members. You're right. I mean, this is history. This has happened before. And I think that all of, all of these individuals as esteemed as they are, they need to put, put on their, their big boy, big girl pants and do the work. Look, I completely understand what people are saying and that maybe she could have chosen better words. But at the end of the day, let's, let's take it right to where you started. When you talked about the protests that were there and the 300 arrests, that was out there as it relates to voting rights. Look, if President Biden and, and Vice President Harris and, and some of these other members of Congress are not willing to cancel or stop the filibuster to protect voting rights, you are not doing what you promised to do. 
And so you're not really representing what we sent you to do. And if you look at coming out of Reconstruction, this was the same thing in the past, where politicians who said they were going to protect voting rights and the like, they abandoned that to go for economic issues, and they lost a lot of black support. And so we're seeing this again. And so, look, we can all talk about the comments, and I understand why Cly Representative Clyburn may have been upset, but I personally do believe also that he can be demanding more from Biden. And he talks about, you know, you don't have the right to... Uh, use the Constitution, I'll use a filibuster on my constitutional rights and the like, but we need to demand more. And so, look, at the end of the day, I think it's unfortunate what has played out. And really, we need to understand, as Dr. Malvo said, that there are grassroots people, and like you said, you know, Cory Bush and the others, who aren't going by traditional politics. They're not waiting their quote-unquote turn, and they need to be respected and understood, and they need to be engaged right now, because if we don't do it now, it's just going to blow up in our faces, and Republicans are going to keep laughing in our face. Speaking of what's blowing up in our faces, we're seeing how COVID-19 is impacting so many of us. Uh, the Delta variant is causing significant problems, an explosion of cases uh, in many states like Florida, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, so many of these different states. Uh, in fact, uh, you, we now are hearing and seeing more individuals uh, who are getting COVID, even though they've been vaccinated, like Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Uh, again, uh, in Florida, as a result, people have been waiting in line for hours uh, to get a shot because this, this Delta variant has really changed uh, so much. Uh, in fact, Alabama's COVID positivity rate is now the highest in the nation. Texas has surpassed New York for the number of COVID-related deaths. And so, uh, folks, th this, is, th this is causing problems. And so now we're trying to understand the CDC data that has come out that's saying that vaccinated people are spreading the virus. What does that even mean? Well, let's, let's talk about this here uh, with Dr. Joseph Graves. He is a professor of biological sciences, North Carolina A&T. Also, Dan Fogbui, a PDFC medicine specialist. So glad to have both of you here. So, Dr. Graves, can you please ex explain to us really what does this new CDC data mean that people who are vaccinated are spreading COVID-19 or had that capacity uh, makes sense for people who are, who are confused because they thought it, people could say, well, we heard one thing from the CDC, now we're hearing something else. Explain what this really means. Uh, Rowan, thank you. Um, basically, the vaccines, for the most part, prevent people from coming down with COVID. So if the vaccine prevents say, 95% of individuals who take it from coming down from COVID, that 95% are not going to be able to spread the virus. But that... But that also means that the 5% of people who can get COVID who are vaccinated usually have milder cases, don't require hospitalization, and uh, don't generally die from COVID. But that doesn't mean that a person who has been vaccinated in that 5% who actually do come down with COVID couldn't pass the uh, virus along. Now, what we know about the Delta variant is that, in fact, it's more transmissible and, and generally makes people sicker. And also the effectiveness of the existing vaccines against the Delta variant has gone down, which means 
more people will actually, who are vaccinated, will actually get the Delta variant, even though that doesn't mean that they're going to be hospitalized or die from it. But that does mean that they can potentially pass along, particularly to unvaccinated people. Judith, did not unpack that because, again, explain to the audience, first of all, so the vaccine, like I took Moderna, okay? So the, va the, the Moderna vaccine that I received was meant to ward off the initial COVID-19 virus, correct? That is correct. So what then, what, what, what then happens is viruses, as you told us last year, this is going to happen, once viruses get within the human body, they begin to mutate and they create a different strain. So the vaccine that was created is not necessarily going to be as effective against the essentially new virus. Yeah, and we know that the, the vaccines that were created against the initial strains are not as effective against the Delta variant. And again, as you pointed out to um, your listeners, I warned people of this over a year ago that unless we brought down the number of infected people and did it rapidly, that there would be continuous evolution of new strains that would become more dangerous and more transmissible. And what we're seeing now um, from the data that, that's you know, released from CDC and the John Hopkins Center the states that are in the worst shape with regard to new COVID cases and hospitalizations and deaths are the states that voted for Donald Trump, um, that didn't believe, that had a large numbers of people didn't believe that the COVID virus was serious, and large numbers of people who never got their vaccinations. And so now we are headed in a direction that none of us wanted to see Everybody wanted to see the summer of 2021 as things going back to normal, but we're actually seeing the trends heading in the wrong direction. So if there's not national action soon to require vaccination, to require masks in school, to treat this as the public health emergency that it is, we are not going to get better. We're going to get worse. And there are more variants that are going to evolve coming down the pipeline. Some may be even worse than Delta. So this is not something we can fool around with. So Dr. Dan, if we want to bring you in here. Uh, so there's so many people to uh, Dr. Gray's point there that, that they were hard headed. There were so many people who were like, okay, I don't really want to trust this thing. We keep seeing these stories. Uh, there was a couple out of uh, Houston, I believe, uh, who both of them are uh, on ventilators uh, in, uh, you know, near death, and they, oh, we wanted to see, wait a year, see how these things turn out, and now they basically are, are, are sending messages to their family, please make sure our kids get, get, get vaccinated. Uh, and, 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 and folks just assumed that this was just going to be no big deal. Hey, I can easily get over it. Donald Trump, that was the position that he took even when he was near death with it. He acted like, oh, this was great, this is wonderful, I got this great cure. No, but they threw everything in the world at it, and so he was a beneficiary of stuff a lot of us would not get. And so now, as a result, this thing is now 
in essence, not contained. And once it goes basically outside of containment, you don't know where in the hell this is going to end up. Yes. Um, thanks, Roland, for having me. And uh, so there are a couple of things. Let, let's make sure that it's totally clear for the audience. I, and uh, I'll wear my biodefense uh, background hat on this. Look, we have to understand what a vaccine actually does. Let's educate us one-on-one. Just because you graduated from the 12th grade and you got your biology and copied off somebody in your class does not make you a doctor, one. <laughs> Two, it, no, it's really true. This is, these are the things I'm, I'm fighting and having these discussion on misinformation, disinformation on different platforms. I want to make sure that's clear. A vaccine is not a force field. So it does not just block the virus and you don't get exposed. So I would liken it to maybe a training program, you know, maybe like physical defense, a d defense course, a assault course, where you get training. That's what you're doing with the vaccine. It trains your immune system to be able to ward off the assailant, in this case, the virus. That's what people need to understand the message. So all these positive cases, I would also redefine that. The messaging has been messed up here. It's actually SARS-CoV-2, the infection. That's what they get when they have these positive tests. That doesn't mean you have COVID-19, the disease, where I have to put a tube down your throat in the emergency department or send you to the ICU and you're on potentially dying bed. That's the big difference. So, yes, you will see these cases. I don't like using breakthrough, but that's the lingo that's out there. But understand the vaccine is not a force field. Second, important, our children are priority. Look at the cases. They have started to increase significantly. Children accounted for about 14.3% of the cases typically over throughout this whole pandemic. In the past two weeks, that number ticked up to now about 19%. So now children are accounted for or have had an increase of maybe about 5%. Last week, about 10 days or so, maybe kids accounted for maybe 32,000 or 30, 36,000 cases. You can look all this up on the American Academy of Pediatrics website, Children's Hospital Association and CDC website. And then in the past 10 days, it's now increased 72,000 cases of SARS-CoV-2 are children. So the number is going up. You can see the trend and I start to anticipate what those policies need, need to be and definitely advocate for your children. So that, that's my, uh, my beat. So I, I got it off my chest. So I, I, I got to ask both of you this. She's a perfect example. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser has, has become, come under a lot of criticism for issuing a mask mandate and then attending a wedding where no one was wearing masks and then attending another birthday party. And so now we have these, now we have this mandate saying that even if you're vaccinated, you should be wearing your mask indoors. Aren't people also kind of screwing this thing up, public officials, by saying one thing and then doing another? I mean, I mean, look, we, we're already fighting a massive disinformation campaign. We're fighting people who do not trust the government, who don't trust anything. Uh, to me, those are blunders that make no sense whatsoever. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, after, after last week uh, with, with the Delta variant and then I saw what was happening with major corporations, I sent an email to my staff, uh, maybe it was Saturday or even Sunday, saying... Uh, if you are not vaccinated, you cannot come into my office. You've got two weeks to get vaccinated. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're not going to have a job. Now, some people may say that's too harsh. But the reality is, I'm not trying to get sick. I'm not trying to get any of my staff sick. As, a, as an owner, I have to be cognizant of the, uh, my staffers and what's going on with them. 
No, Roland, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, there needs to be a consistent message, and the consistent message is mirrored by the, the way you behave in public. So if you're going to say that there needs to be a masking uh, mandate, then you need to go around wearing your mask where it is appropriate to wear your mask. It's really that simple. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think um, corporations have actually stepped up in this case, um, Roland. Um, it's literally, as I said uh, before, and I've said it on other outlets, that the uh, corporations are actually leading the feds and they're leading your local government officials um, in regards to the messaging. And that's because it's hitting them in the wallets. It's not altruistic. It really is um, mostly because it's hitting their pockets. And I would say that, and that hell, they actually stepped up. Now, the subsequent corporations have been following suit. We've heard Walmart, Disney, just as you said. Um, so that's who's leading the, the charge. And I think that will actually bode well for us. But this whole masking thing, yes, the message has been mixed up. But the virus also has changed. So let's not, let's not get that twisted. Science is not necessarily the truth, as uh, someone said. Science is actually looking for the truth. So it will change. But we have to understand that it is a dynamic of change, and we have to do that. Some of my colleagues have said we shouldn't even be dangling the whole mask issue and just say, you know what, mask, do what you need to do, wash your hands, get your vaccine, and call it a day, and be clear with it. We've tried the other way. Some have argued that if aliens were supposed to invade us, we, with our civil liberties and lack of cooperation, lack of working in unison in one accord, will be our downfall. And I actually think that's actually right, sadly, but true. Yeah, but I think the problem is deeper than that, because Americans confuse freedom with license. And, and they're not the same thing. You don't have the freedom to walk into a crowded movie theater and yell fire. That, that's, that's license. So in the same way, with regard to public health measures, you don't have the right to put other people's lives in danger by not getting vaccinated and by not washing your hands, by not wearing a mask in public. You don't have that right. And people don't, don't understand the difference between the two, license and, and freedom. They're not the same thing. And since they don't have that understanding, therefore, then there comes the sanctions and the mandatory making you doing certain things that you wouldn't do without repercussions. So that's why we're here where we are. I mean, it, 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 has, been, it has been frustrating because... I also believe, I think, part of the problem is people hear something and they go, okay, that's it, without realizing that stuff changes. That as medical professionals, as scientists, you're, you're chasing this thing. And so, it's, to me, it's sort of the equivalent of, um, I'm, okay, someone tells me, uh, hey, um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you uh, in traffic, and we're going this direction. And then I get mad if you hung a left or hung a right, and I go, well, why did you turn right? And they were going, because, idiot, there was a traffic accident up ahead, and I exited the freeway to go around the accident versus sit in traffic. We are so linear. Nope, you told us this. And now you're changing your mind? What's wrong with you? And then folks, you just put it out on social media, and then people go crazy, as opposed to sitting there going, yeah, guess what? Today, you're gonna have to wear your mask. I know what I said last week, but today is different. To me, got it, because I'm trying to live. 
I I'm not trying to check out early by being a dumbass. Uh, part of this also, um, Roland, goes to, to, I think, the intentional destruction of science uh, education in the American school system. And, and the reason that science is so dangerous to despots is because when people think scientifically, they can easily see, see through your schemes. So if you want to be able to essentially, you know, institute uh, a despotic, anti-democratic society, you don't want your population capable of thinking critically about the facts of various issues, including the facts of nature and medicine. And so this is an example of where that right-wing program of attempting to underdevelop the intellect of the American people has now come back to literally bite us in the behind, because now it's extremely difficult to get across scientific ideas related to the pandemic, related to the evolution of the virus, related to the public health policy in a society that has little to no scientific literacy. Uh, Dr. Dan? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think um, I, I just want to pivot on, um, on, on that issue, but with regards to parents um, really trying to figure it out for their children um, this fall, winter. Uh, please make sure you go to www.cdc.gov, um, look under vaccines, under planning. Um, you'll see all the guidelines. I literally had a, uh, I moderated a session with the National Council of Negro Women, um, a, a great workshop this uh, weekend, um, but lots of concerns from parents, lots from families, lots from administrators. This stuff is not, um, it's not easy, but we have to do it. So that whole masking stuff that AAP, the American Academy put, uh, of Pediatrics put out, Please follow that. Uh, if your constituents aren't, uh, if your uh, leadership in your towns are not following that, figure out how to advocate and work up that chain because this is serious. We don't have those vaccines for the kids yet. Um, we need to vaccinate them as soon as we get that opportunity, uh, but we don't have that yet. And the time when it's coming, we're not sure. We're saying sometime later in the fall, winter, uh, but by that time, they've already started school. And as I already mentioned previously at the previous uh, discussion here, that we talked about the stats. Those cases are rising, they're increasing. While we're not seeing significant hospitalizations in those areas, the hospitalizations are going up, especially in those um, hot uh, bed areas. Florida, I don't know what they're doing. We didn't talk about it, but DeSantis is tripping over there and you all need to protect yourselves and be careful. Um, I do want to have each one of my panelists ask a question, but I, I just get a kick out of some of these people. I guess this person's name is appropriate, is Karen. Um, she puts on YouTube, he talking like if people are not vaccinated, they got the cooties or some shit. Oh, well, to each his own. That I have my own business. Wow. So now he calling people dumbasses because they don't get vaccinated. Yeah, actually, I am. I'm calling people dumbasses last year who wouldn't wash their damn hands, who wouldn't social distance, who wouldn't wear a mask. And then when the vaccina vaccination comes out, then folks say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to take it. Okay, gotcha. But show me all the people who did at the same position, like a 34-year-old black dude who's making fun of the vaccination, who's now dead. Hello. Or, or the numerous other people. And, and, and here's the deal. You're right, to each his own. But, but do let me explain something to you. While you're saying to each his own, it's not just each his own. See, this is the difference between, to me, COVID-19 and somebody who chooses to smoke. 
if you want to smoke five packs of cigarettes a day in your house, in your car, that's you. But when I got to deal with your secondhand smoke, you now dealing, you now affecting my life. If you want to drink yourself into a stupor, go right ahead. But when you drink and get behind that wheel, see, then you're impacting me. This is the reality of what's happening with COVID. The people out here who don't want to get vaccinated, who don't want to social distance, who don't want to wear a mask, who don't want to wash their hands, who want to say, hey, I want to live free and be an American. That's why I'm here. It's freedom, freedom, freedom. Well, that's what's causing our problems because their kids are not vaccinated, they're not taking all the precautions, their family members are not, and so guess what? This small amount of people is causing the problems. Vermont, Vermont is the state that leads America. Doc, both of y'all can let, just correct me if I'm wrong. Vermont has the highest vaccination rate in America. My understanding? Zero hospitalizations. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, you've said it all, Roland. I mean, but I, I would say that much of this ignorance has, is not accidental, that it, that it has been fostered by very powerful interests who, who like to see the American people suffer. And, and, and quite frankly, um, as I have said on your show many times, all of these unnecessary deaths need to be laid at the feet of the people who created the atmosphere where Americans no longer believe scientific facts, no longer believe medical facts, no longer believe the things that they see with their very eyes. I mean, people on their deathbed saying, I should have taken the vaccine. But there are people who told them that they shouldn't. Um, this morning, I saw a preacher in Tennessee who threatened to throw people out of his church if they got vaccinated or wore a mask. And so, um, while yes, you know, individuals have responsibility, we also need to be quite aware of the social forces that are at work in this country trying to destroy what is left of American democracy. Um, questions from each one of my panelists. I'll start with you, Julian. Uh, Roland, first of all, these doctors are amazing. Thank you for bringing them on and bringing their information on. I want to ask both of them, but especially the brother who talked about, about the resistance of science, the lack of science literacy that exists in our country. So people are saying things like, I don't believe the science. Well, it's not a religion. It's like a fact. Um, so what do you attribute this lack of science literacy to, and what can we do about it? So there are a couple of things on that. Uh, I would say, thank you for that question. So the number one thing is our school system, right? Our education process. Um, it needs to be more rigorous. Uh, we need to focus on STEM, uh, science, technology, and math, uh, engineering, all that good stuff uh, to start to address that. But not only that, uh, I think the, the, this is what I was gonna bring up, section 230 that has to deal with social media and the regulation around that. Social media platforms are going to need to be regulated. That's just my uh, personal opinion on that. Uh, I don't know how other folks feel about it, but the point is, if AI is stupid, and I'm going to say it's stupid, because all it does is give you and feed you what you eat. So if you're looking up some story and it says that this vaccine has this, 
And all it is is a whole bunch of lies sprinkled with a little bit of truth. And people say, oh, well, if it says that there, therefore it must be. The lack of critical thinking is, is not there. It's just not there. People can't, they don't even know how to go down levels of discernment from first degree. Who's the author? Not every doctor is a doctor. Okay, so this doctor published. Did they publish in that area? Did they publish in this topic? And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the population? So people have to learn how to ver verify, how to check information, how to validate it, and actually understand how to discern. Those things are lacking. So critical thinking would be the, the first thing I would say. And then social media definitely has a part of that where they're using AI algorithms that aren't really propagating the right message and actually magnifying misinformation. Yeah, I have to agree with my esteemed colleague. Um, we're, we're in a perfect storm in which two uh, forces are come into the American, uh, into the, into American culture going in opposite directions. One is the rise of, of social media and people's lives um, being orchestrated by what they hear or, or listen to on social media at the same time that an emphasis on critical thinking um, in education, particularly in, in public education, K-12, has gone through the, the, through, through the bottom. And so these two things coming together is, is, is the worst possible set of circumstances in which to have a global pandemic. And so unless we fix this, and, and again, it comes down to who has the um, reason, who has a rationale for wanting to fix this. I can tell you that the people who run this country um, don't want to, don't have a rationale for wanting to fix this. They want a compliant um, American consumer who will just buy what they see on their smart television and not really even think about it. That's what they want. That's what they want education to do: is to make you a compliant consumer. Um, if we emphasize an education that provides students with the ability to think critically about the world, they're going to come to the conclusion that the society we live in has to be changed. It has to be changed dramatically. And if the COVID pandemic isn't sign enough, let me be really clear on this. I've been saying the entire time that COVID is a level three uh, pathogen. There are much worse pathogens lining up to become global pandemics. And unless we take action now, we could literally be seeing an existential um, pandemic that threatens the very existence of the human species in the not too distant future. Makongo, your question. Yes, uh, my question is also for, for both of you. I remember when COVID first hit and there was all this conversation about not only the airborne aspect of it, but handshaking and people touching packages and surfaces. With this Delta variant, are these also still areas of how the virus, uh, of how COVID is being transmitted? Should we still be doing things like washing down packages, fist bumps instead of handshakes, th those types of things? So based on the data that's out there, uh, we know that most of the transmission is not really through packaged food and touching uh, certain uh, surfaces. Uh, there, it may be minimal on, on that, but it's really not the main uh, way of spread. It's really just uh, through the nasal passages and mouth. Um, and so those are the things that are, that are out there. So yes, we should still be washing. Uh, somebody uh, alluded to something about us being dirty and not clean. So wash your hands. If there's one thing we learned from this pandemic is to be clean. 
But those who are, who are obsessive compulsive, they're living in heaven right now because they're like, y'all just catching up. Wash your hands, and wash your hands, and wash everything else. So yeah, so that, that's 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 where it's at with that. Make sure you wash your hands, wear your mask, and do all that stuff. It does change, um, and as, as I said, science is a dynamic of change. When we get more data, if we find something that this variant does something else, you'll be you'll be notified to be continued. So people can't just stay in one zone. It's it's literally constantly evolving. And because it constantly evolves, I would make the point that we should assume that variants will evolve that do a better job of transmitting themselves on surfaces. And so the practices that were just described, which is hand washing, wearing your mask, social distancing, all of those things are going to work without regard to whatever type of variant we're talking about. But we can be sure that new variants will arise with new abilities. And so we should maintain our best practices with regard to preventing the transmission of viruses. And, and we know how to do that. Thank you. Avis. Uh, Dr. Fabui, great to see you here, by the way. Um, question for you with regards to parents um, trying to navigate school. Uh, you know, a few months ago, I think we all were assuming that by the time this fall came that children could more safely go back to school and uh, resume a more normal type of educational lifestyle. And now, uh, with the rise of this variant, plus the fact that uh, vaccines have not really been completed, the testing process for the youngest of children, um, what should parents do in terms of looking out for the safety of their children as they head back to educational institutions? Well, thank you for that question, Avis. It's great to see you, too. Um, hide your kids, hide your wives, run. Uh, I mean, <laughs> literally, all jokes aside. But I, I think it's important to, to understand how uh, this is for families. Uh, as I said, I was um, moderating the National uh, Council of Negro Women um, workshop, great outreach to the community. Uh, please check in with them. But um, on the CDC website, I would definitely refer you to that. CDC website, go under vaccine, um, under COVID-19, or under planning for schools. So it's called SLV, basically school uh, based planning and, and vaccinations. So it's not only just the COVID vaccinations that will be an issue, but even the regular vaccination that they haven't been getting throughout this whole pandemic. So they're going to be doing that in school. So I want parents to be open to that and to be ready and be prepared that your kids may get vaccinated at school for all their catch-up vaccinations. That's one. Two, I, I think uh, it's important to make sure they're involved in their PTA, Parent Teachers Association, and in your community response to that. Definitely the masking, work around the, the community on that. One of the problems that we've had is uh, we've known this for over a year. We had all this time that we know that the distancing within schools, making sure that they're, uh, they have enough funding to be able to uh, construct the school or at least make it the classrooms in a certain way where it's more palatable and available for them to have more air and things like that. So those are things they should have worked out within their policy. Also, getting making sure that the uh, teachers, the faculty, staff, all of them are vaccinated. That's also a shield, a layer of protection. That's important, making sure you have hand washing uh, stations or sanit uh, hand sanitizers. All those things are important to be in place, are necessary. I think one of the last things that I think is a problem is with regards to in their, when they're in states, for example, I'm going to use Florida because they're just really doing something really wrong. Um, where they're actually going to penalize schools and dis school districts with regards to masking, literally fighting them on we what we know as life-saving. 
that's where you have to get involved with the community level, with uh, all the chain of command, meaning you're speaking with your council member, whoever is in power in that city so you all can advocate for your children. And ultimately, if this is not working out the right way, you may need to uh, take your kids out of school and go to a different district, literally. Some parents are actually considering that in cases where they need to make sure their kids are safe. Yeah, and one other thing I'll, I'll add to that is there has been a concerted effort by the right wing in this country to take over local school boards. And so um, people who really care about, again, about democracy, about preserving um, our chances to live in, in a free and equitable society, if you have the capacity, you certainly should, one, find out who's on your local school board and what their politics are. And, and if you have the capacity, you should consider running and serving on your, on your school boards because there needs to be a concerted effort to, to stop um, the takeover of school boards by right-wing um, policies in, in this nation. All right, folks. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate it. It's a whole lot to digest there, hopefully. Uh, the folks who are watching and listening really uh, learned something uh, from that. Our goal is to have uh, top black experts on, uh, giving people the information from our perspective so they understand what's going on. And so I certainly appreciate the both of you uh, for coming on uh, to explain all that. Dr. Gray, Dr. Thakbui, thanks a lot. Gentlemen, take care. Appreciate it. Yeah, you too. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We'll be back right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out Tiffany, I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> just about hurting black folk. Right. You gotta deal with it. It's injustice. It's wrong. I do feel like in this generation, we've got to do more around being intentional and resolving conflict. You and I haven't always agreed. Yeah. But we agree on the big piece. Yeah. Our conflict is not about destruction. Conflict's gonna happen. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, I'm B.B. Winans. Hey, I'm Dolly Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. As we said at the top, the Pro People's Campaign held their National Moral Monday today in Washington, D.C. Uh, thousands gathered in the nation's capital, marching to the Senate Hart Office Building, first gathering in Union Square, uh, right there uh, across from Union Station. Uh, here is Reverend Dr. William J. Barber addressing the crowd before they marched. The filibuster is sin. Leaving things undone is sin. Leaving things neglected is sin. Making essential workers work during a pandemic and risk their lives to save this country and then not give them a living wage is sin. question I'm through. 
is simply this. It's a moment that was raised from Jackson in the 1920s by the Kentucky mine workers who were fighting against the bosses in the 1920s. And the lady, and one lady, they were coming to get her husband and arrest him, and she hid him, got him out of town, and then she sat down and wrote a song, and she simply asked one question. Which side are you on? Which side are you on, my people? Because there is no moderate side in this. Moderation is vomit. But the Lord said you either got to be hot or cold. A non-constitutional filibuster, are you on that side? Or are you on the side of fulfilling your constitutional duty to establish justice, to promote the general welfare, to ensure equal protection under the law and make sure nobody can deny or bridge the right to vote? Somebody shout, which side are you on? Reverend Jesse Jackson, the senior, uh, was also there uh, and uh, was cheered vigorously by the crowd when he was introduced. I was glad to be on the summer march in 1965 and the summer march last week between Georgetown and, and Austin. The difference between now and then is that we, we were moral dependence, moral dependence party. We lost the vote. We had to run the Nixon. Johnson was our salvation in that march. Came to our rescue. Down, we, down. We took the heat. First penny gave to Edward Nerfson, Republican. Second, he gave to Dr. King. Across part of the lines to make real sense. Yeah. One thing I know now is that we're not, uh, and we're now the integral part with the base to black, to black and brown people. Black and brown people. The base, the father, not the father, not the father. Foundation. Foundation. As long as we end up, uh, this is where you start from. Yeah. The reason why Miss Lowe should be here today, Schumer should be here today, and Biden should be here today. Because if we lose, they lose. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I preach. We lose. We lose. Democracy loses. Democracy. We lose. Democrats lose. We lose. Nation loses. Honor. Credibility. In the world. Roddy Ellis, Harris County Commissioner, former state senator. Uh, he was uh, there watching things unfold, and we caught up with him. Surprised he ain't got his bike, his bike with him. Hey, Surprised he ain't got his bike with him. Uh, I did this in my hotel room. Uh huh. See, there you, you go. You can't bike in the march now. You can't rush it. You got to take your time and get there. How yeah, you doing, there you man? Go. All good. We just uh, just here. I'm impressed. Live, live streaming this whole deal. It is. I'm impressed. It's a great crowd. And Barbara's just amazing. You see Rub Jackson over there? Mm -hmm. He's been amazing after all these years, man. Of course. He's still out there, relevant in the struggle. It's amazing. Now, we were, we were in Austin last week, so I was, uh, we were there Tuesday through Sunday. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You know, my Texas folks out here, I think a couple of them still left, but they're getting ready to go back out with me. Oh, the um, uh, House, Dem House yeah. Democrats. Yeah. And Representative Ron. Uh, three Texas House Democrats. Uh, they, of course, have been in D.C. since they uh, left the state to, to uh, keep them from having a quorum from passing bills. I also caught up with them. All right, so first of all, I've got to get your thoughts on uh, uh, Saturday's rally. We were there, of course, Tuesday through Saturday, and then uh, your thoughts about this. Anybody jump up first? Uh, so, first of all, I... I hate that we couldn't be there, right? Um, that was probably one of the most powerful things that we've seen in the state of Texas. And sadly enough, we couldn't be there. 
but everyone has to know that we were there in spirit because I honestly don't believe that we wouldn't we would see a movement like that in the state of Texas or anywhere else in this country but for the courage of my colleagues to stand up to Governor Abbott and say enough is enough and come to DC and call the US Senate on their stuff is what we'll say. <laughs> and I would add that our people back home know how important this is, not only to Texans, but to people across the United States. Our democracy is in jeopardy right now. So we know when they rally that we're, we're standing together in solidarity. And today's rally is all about uh, Reverend Barber tying voting rights to every single issue that's important to every family, whether it's working wages, whether it's health care, whether it's employee rights, whether it's emergency workers being safe and what they're doing, whether it's our educators, all of that is tied into our right to vote. And that's why we're here today supporting Reverend Barbin in Washington, D.C. Uh, what I would say, Roland, is that we are here dealing with the fierce urgency of now. We need the U.S. Senate to take action so that we can protect millions and millions of Texans, and not just Texas, but people all across this country's fundamental precious right to vote. We know that we stand on the shoulders of those who paved the way to help end almost 56 years ago the, the voter suppression Jim Crow laws, and we're going to continue to fight as Texas legislators to be on the right side of history, and we're urging the U.S. Senate to take action now. This is the most pressing issue facing this country right now. It's not infrastructure. It is the the fundamental voting rights because if we don't have the power of the vote then everything else fails and we don't have a democracy all right i gotta go walk i appreciate it among the speakers also was the daughter of president lyndon baines johnson lucy johnson he of course uh was the president who signed into law on august 6 1965 voting rights act everyone here matters to us Jobs, education, that robbed our people of a more 
just America. And we won't take it anymore. And after that, that's when they then uh, traveled uh, through the streets of Washington, D.C., down Constitution, on the way across uh, the Supreme Court uh, and over to uh, the Senate Hart Building. Hey, all media, we need you to be in line with us. This is the Poor People's Campaign and myself, so please, you cannot be in front of us. Y'all got to keep moving. Come on. Uh, uh, a, a little chaotic out there at the beginning, but you can actually see uh, with that shot there the number of people who were there. Uh, this is important, Omakongo, uh, and just keep rolling the video, folks. Uh, it's important because what Reverend Barber keeps saying is there has to be constant pressure, constant action. More than 700 clergy uh, drove people out there today, uh, and he said, by, by not, if, if you just simply play an inside game and they don't see people in the streets, it allows for the issue to fade away. Yes, that's absolutely right. And through Reverend Barber, through Reverend Jackson, Reverend Theo Harris, people always calling off the church here saying they're not doing enough, they're not doing what they used to be, used to do. This is, this is being led right now, and they are out in the streets. And all across the country, I'm seeing members of the clergy step up just as they used to do in the past, and they're bringing young people along. As, as, in my opinion, look, as they say, 
Change doesn't come from Washington. Change comes to Washington. And the fact that they're out there in Texas we, and, and all across the country out here marching, putting pressure on corporations, putting pressure in every single way possible, people need to know that we are serious about this. People are out there not only risking arrest, they're, they're, this is still a pandemic. People are risking getting COVID transmissions and, and holding patterns and in other places. But this is how important it is to them. This is how important it is to us. This is how important it is to our future. And these Democrats who we put in the majority, I know they don't have the same numbers as, as an LBJ did. I get that with Biden. But seriously, you're going to go off for seven weeks while we're out in the street doing this type of work? Who are you really representing? Whose donors are, is it about the donors or is it about the people on the street? Because we put you all in office. I don't care who gives you the millions of dollars. It's only one vote per person. And so at the end of the day, I hope that they're paying attention because just because you all are going to be on recess, kids go on recess, by the way. We're not. We're going to stay out in the streets. We're going to stay online. We're going to stay doing everything we can because we can't let up, period. Um, Avis, the targeting of, re uh, of recess is really important because... Uh, boy, members of Congress love nothing more than being able to take their vacations. And so you apply pressure where you need to apply pressure. Uh, and I think by telling them, y'all need to move on this before you go to recess, and Chuck Schumer, what he should say to them is, hey, I'm not going to let y'all go on recess unless we address this. That's how you get their attention. We are talking about Chuck Schumer, right? <laughs> well, he's, that's what he said. That's what he said. Chuck Schumer. Okay. Uh, okay. I believe that one when I say it, but I hope he does. I hope he does. I would like to see more backbone-like behavior out of Chuck Schumer. Uh, and I, I, would, I would say that, um, uh, you know, this is a key fight. I mean, this is, to me, from the very beginning of the Biden administration, I've said from day one, this needed to be priority number one. And I've been... Uh, you know, just live it as I'm seeing everything else sort of leapfrog over voting rights. And it's not like this is an altruistic thing that they're quote unquote doing for black people. If they want to win, they need to make sure that black people can vote because we are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Not only is it true that without our support, we would not have uh, control by the slimmest of margins, but control nonetheless of the Senate, uh, as well as an Obama, a Biden presidency. Um, but, you know, if looking forward in terms of what to expect in the midterms, in terms of what to expect uh, in the next presidential election, you have to give people a reason to come out and vote for you again, which means that you have to deliver on your promises. It's very disturbing to see that there seems to be this um, idea that um, black people are going to somehow organize their way out of this and that, that black women will somehow once again pull another rabbit out of the hat. Uh, in terms of saving their asses. But, I, I, you know, I, I, need, I need to let this, this administration and the politi this political party understand that this needs to be uh, the line in the sand. You need to fight for us in the same way that we fought for you. And lastly, I will say, I really hope, you know, I understand and I deeply respect what's going on right here, but we, we cannot, I believe, afford to, to diffuse the message, to muddle this message. This can't be about saving everybody all the time, okay? This can't be about voting rights and citizenship and minimum wage and everything else under the sun. I are, you know, we need to understand as people on the left that to be most effective politically, you need to target your messaging 
target your focus, not diffuse your focus all over the damn place. So well, I would love to see a focus this summer. If the focus is on voting rights, the focus needs to be on voting rights right now. I would love that because honestly, the, they're talking about rolling up in this, you know, stuff for uh, dreamers and, and, and reconciliation. I mean, other people getting their stuff. I would love to see, I would love to see a focused effort specifically on voting rights, because let me tell you, that is what's under attack fervently, and it's primarily uh, the black community that's under attack with that specific issue. Well, but Julian, Dr. Barber actually addressed that particular issue when he spoke today, and we're going to try to pull up in a second. Uh, a member of Congress said, hey, you know, uh, y'all should only make this about voting. He said no with the Poor People's Campaign. He said that 40, he said that if you address $15 an hour, that impacts 40% of black America. Uh, and so, Julian, that was something that, that he was clear. He said, you have to also put multiple agenda items on. He said, and that's why you see their demands. Their demands right there. Number one, in the filibuster, pass the For the People Act, deal with $15 an hour, protect 11 million uh, immigrants as well, and the John Lewis Act. They've been very clear all last week on every banner, in every speech, these are the demands. You know, Roland, I partially agree with Avis, and I partially agree with Reverend Barber. I mean, the, the challenge is that well, we... Have... How, how, how you partially agree with Avis and partially agree with Reverend Barber when what Avis is saying runs counter what Reverend Barber is saying? You can't partially agree with both. You got to pick, Julianne. I'm trying to explain <laughs> it to you. I am trying to explain it to you. Now, the issue is that we can't put everything in here, but there's some things that could be put in here. I think if we just do voting rights, we may miss an opportunity, but I, but I think that if we widen it too much, we give too many people out to get out. So, you know, I want folks to... The voting rights thing is most important to so many of us. But you see Cory Bush sleeping on the steps for homeless folks, you see the $15 an hour, you see all these things. What we're really talking about is a frontal assault on predatory capitalism, a frontal assault on the way that we've done things. And with that frontal assault, we have to figure out a way to balance this stuff out. And in balancing it out, it may mean that we end up with a bill that's broader than um, just voting rights, but narrower than what Reverend Barber and the posse want. That's all. I'm saying there's good to say in both. No, you know, yeah, you're right, I have to pick. I ain't got to pick, Roland. All I have to do is say that with this shit, I didn't need to curse on the air. This nonsense has to stop. The way the filibuster has to be gone. I, wanna, I think that's perhaps what we can all agree on is get rid of the filibuster. I want to bring in a couple of guests. Dr. Wes Bellaby, he is the chair of advocacy for 100 black men of America. Uh, Kadeem Cooper is the policy council, public center, public policy project, Laws Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Glad to have uh, both of you on here. Uh, sorry, can I get to you on Saturday? We had a, a few issues there. But, but Wes, I, I want to deal with you. First of all, the, what the demands of the Poor People Campaign <coughs> that's not a demand to put all that in one bill. What they're saying is, the, in the filibuster is one thing. The For the People Act is a, is a whole different different deal. John Lewis is a different deal. They're saying these are multiple things to deal with. Uh, and so, Barbara was clear that they are not going uh, to make one issue. He said they have a broader agenda as the Poor People's Campaign. 
I absolutely agree with Reverend Barber, and with all due respect to the sister, I think it's imperative for us to be able to understand that we have to be able to walk and chew gum simultaneously. And I say that again as respectfully as I can. I think that our issue in terms of voting rights, while it is uh, definitely affecting the majority of African Americans, we can't say that this is only affecting us, because if we do that, then we're not understanding the fact that our Latino, the Latinx brothers and sisters, are being disenfranchised uh, by voting rights, excuse me, by voter suppression. And there are several groups who are um, uh, being marginalized in that regard. And furthermore, we know that we are stronger when we have allies. Black folks specifically stand up for everybody, and I think it's important for other folks to come in and stand up with us. We said this on, on while on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. It's imperative that the LGBTQA community stand up for us. The Latin folk, the Asian folk, the white folk, the woke folk, whomever, need to come out and speak up for us. And, and again, we can't just say that this is only about voting rights because we know that both the Senate as well as members of certain members of the House will just say, well, that's y'all thing. And when we're stronger, to, when we fight together, we're stronger together. And I firmly believe that. Uh, Kadeem, obviously, uh, so much attention uh, uh, is, is, is focused on this. Uh, in the video that I'm playing right now, uh, you see uh, disabled advocates uh, there with their walkers in wheelchairs getting arrested. Uh, they wanted to be able uh, to show that uh, everybody uh, cares about uh, the issue of voting rights. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the key thing to understand about the legislation like the For the People Act and like the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act is that it, it, these are broad pieces of legislation that will affect all different types of people, uh, black people, people of Hispanic descent, Native Americans, people with disabilities. There are provisions in these bills that will address issues that affect every single one of these groups. That's why you have such a broad coalition of people fighting for these legislation. Um, and that's why we can't give up the fight uh, just because of the filibuster. We really have to continue to, to push forward on um, advocacy, for the filibuster to be eliminated. Um, we need to push forward on advocacy for both pieces of voting rights legislation, the For the People Act and the John Lewis bill. And we have to, you know, continue to continue to fight um, until the end of this congressional session. Uh, I think that the, the Democrats are starting to understand the urgency of this moment, but I think it's it's not gonna happen unless we continue to to to, to fight. Um, and that, and that's what um, Reverend Barber is doing so effectively today. The um, uh, the the thing here, Wes, uh, with 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 the different groups engaged uh, in this and what we're seeing um, is, is is and one of the things that that, that Barber keeps saying is that look, if you don't want to be a part of Poor People's Campaign, that's fine, but plan your own action. Uh, do something. Mm -hmm. Do it in your state capital. Uh, pick another day. They look. Look. Their deal is Moral Mondays. Well, hell, mm -hmm. who gonna pick Tuesday? <laughs> Who's gonna pick Wednesday? Right. Uh, uh, right. Uh, the uh, 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 the black uh, black women organizations. Their action is on Thursday. Uh, th there are days of the week that people uh, can can get involved in. And it has to be constant. It has to be constant pressure. 
at the Hart Building. It has to be at the Capitol Building. It has to be at the Supreme Court. It has to be it has to be in front of the White House. Right, right. And, and to that point, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I'm excited to announce that. Uh, black Voters Matter and our dear brother Cliff Albright, as well as the 100 Black Men of America, our Black Party, and several other organizations will be uh, joining, will be actually taking over on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, uh, meeting at 945, in which we'll be starting at uh, right near the African American Museum and having a march to right outside of the White House to encourage President Biden to pick a side, and he has to do something, whether he's going to be on the side of white supremacists, and if this is Jim Crow 2.0, then he needs to come out and end the filibuster and end voter suppression and use his voice and his leverage to do so. So I absolutely agree with you. There's room in this tent for everybody to do something. It's just about us, again, not only picking a day and not only picking an action, but ensuring that we're keeping consistent and constant pressure. So uh, so you're saying that, that, that um, Black Voters Matter and black male groups uh, will be gathering yep. at 9.45 a.m. in front of the National Museum of African American History and Culture. We'll be going from there to the White House on Wednesday? Yes, sir, on Wednesday. So, you know, we're looking forward to having Roland Martin unfiltered. Uh, I guess you get an exclusive. They're going to kill me for saying it too early. But, yeah, we'll be there on Wednesday. And, again, we're, we're taking our days, and, you know, we're willing to go to jail. I've already been to jail standing with the sisters. The brothers are willing to stand up. Hey, it's constant, it's consistent, and we got to do it. This is important. So everybody who's online talking about this should happen, that should happen, this ain't going to work, that ain't going to work, everybody, a lot of these groups have days every day of the week. There's an opportunity for you to do action. Shout out to my brother Stephen Green. There's a big march going on on Friday as well. Hey, come on, get active, stop tweeting, stop Instagramming, and let's get in the streets and let's do some work. Uh, you may want to see me. I, I don't have the Friday information, uh, so you may want to yeah, send. To you, you may want to send that to me. Uh, I, I do. I do want to. I do want to ask. Uh, I do want to ask uh, you this question here uh, that I think is, that is, is really important, uh, Kadeem, and that is when we talk about. Um, you know, again, inside, outside. I mean, the Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, uh, y'all are on the inside. Y'all are involved in the negotiation, the meetings that have been taking place with the presidents. Explain to the people why external pressure helps the inside strategy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. Um, Senator Manchin, four or five months ago, he was adamantly against passage of the For the People Act. He, he just thought that it was, it was too partisan. It was never going to get done. But there was constant pressure, both grassroots pressure in West Virginia and pressure in D.C. Phone calls, marches, um, you know, letters, everything was just focused on Senator Manchin and, and really pushing him to explain why, as a Democrat, he wasn't backing this voting rights legislation. And now what we see is Senator Manchin is at the table. He's negotiating with Senator Schumer. He's trying to come together. He's trying to find a solution that's going to allow him to save face, given, given what he's already said. But that, that negotiation would never have happened. It never would have come to be if it wasn't for the constant grassroots pressure of the activist community. And that's why we're, you know, as somebody who works at more of a civil rights organization that, that deals with policy, um, I am, I'm so grateful for the work of these activists, and I'm so grateful that there are people who are willing to be out in the streets every day, every week, to get this stuff done. I mean, we could never do that, our work without that, that grassroots pressure. 
See, on Congo, the thing that really jumps out here is that uh, you always have the folk who don't really uh, want uh, the external pressure. Uh, but then when, when they get to the end of their rope, then they're like, well, 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 well can y'all do something? That's why the two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, both, both of you brothers for what you're doing and, and the other brothers that you mentioned as well, because we give all of our, our praise to the sisters as we should every single day. And it's great to see brothers out there standing with, with our sisters making this happen because we are one community. And to go back to your point, Roland, at the end of the day, even doc, you know, with Dr. King, everybody knew that. He was that, you know, the external pressure outside along with other groups, that organizations. It can't be a one, a, a one thing or a two thing. It has to be both hands knocking down the door at the same time. And every single opportunity that we get, we got days in the week, we got different times of the day. We got to get out there and doing that. So for all of y'all, who are saying, well, we just vote for the president. We'll see you in four years, not even two <laughs> years, but we'll see you in four years and it's all good. If we haven't learned by now that the pressure has to never stop and then has to come from every single angle, from the streets to the suites, we're never going to get it now. And so I'm so happy that you got these brothers on right now. And we are seeing that this is grassroots and it's happening at every level. Uh, Avis, uh, Avis uh, and I think uh, when you talk about these, these uh, senators, uh, they, they need to feel that heat wherever they go. If they have a town hall meeting, feel it. If they're meeting with lobbyists, they got to be there. Uh, if they are, and again, same thing President Biden. When he goes home to Wilmington, Delaware, uh, and when he decides to go play golf, he better see some, he, he needs to see some signs outside the crib, uh, outside uh, the golf course uh, as well. I mean, that's the thing. It, that's, that's when we talk about constant, constant pressure. Absolutely. Constant pressure is very important. And let me just be very clear about my point here. As a political scientist who has worked on uh, with policy uh, advocacy for over two decades now in terms of what really happens with, with regards to how to wield power and to push things across the finish line in Congress, I will tell you that muddled messaging is not your friend. Muddled messaging is not your friend. If we had people all over this nation all asking, you know, for a like, I, let me just let me just say, to make this most effective this summer, the one thing we need to focus on is voting rights, voting rights, voting rights, voting rights, and voting rights. And even if the if the argument is that we want people not to leave for this uh, for, for any sort of vacation right about now, it's it's you know it's one ask is better than five asks. That was just my point in terms of really making that happen. You know, I, I think it's 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 really critical to know that this ask needs to be powerful. It needs to be replicated. And I think that it's nothing wrong with us unapologetically advocating on behalf of black people. You know, I, I, you know, obviously, both the attacks against voting rights aren't only focused on black people, but let's be clear, it's primarily targeting us. It's primarily targeting how we vote uh, in terms of the specific rules changes that are, have been uh, implemented or at least uh, sort of part up in legislation all across this nation because uh, the other side understands very well, and I would argue perhaps understands, understands better than the Democratic Party, exactly how powerful the black vote is. And so with surgical precision across this country, they are pushing 
uh, for uh, eliminating or at least greatly damaging our access to the ballot box. And I think that uh, as black people, we should be focused on that protection of that right, that right that many of our ancestors laid down their lives for. And yes, since that time, lots of people have benefited from those sacrifices. All types of people have benefited from those sacrifices. But I think it's important that we understand that right now, our voting rights in particular, not only, but in particular, is in the crosshairs across this nation with 48 different state legislatures. And we need to rise up across this nation unapologetically and fight specifically for that. Focused messaging brings a bigger impact. And that's what we need to do in order to fight back and make sure that our voting rights are protected. Wes. Uh, Wes, well, I Yes, I'm... Wes, go ahead. Wes, go ahead. Yeah, well, well I'll just say, I, with respect to the sister, as a, as a fellow political scientist, I'm the political science department chairman at Virginia State University. I hear you wholeheartedly in regards to focused messages. There you go. Hell State, Trojan Pride. So, right. so we're going to have you come back and speak to the kids. But in any event, I, I agree with you in regards to focused messaging. I just think that in order for us to bring more people into the tent, because of the fact that we know that black folk represent a significant portion of the population, but we're not the the totality, excuse me, we're not the largest portion of the totality, or excuse me, the largest portion of the population. And furthermore, if we want to bring other folks in to make our message louder, to make our voices louder, we're going to have to be willing to bring in some of their issues. That's just the way in which the game, to my, in my personal my opinion, this is a numbers game. When, when are they going to fight for us? I do not see, I, I do agree. not see other. I, let me just say, why is it only the black community's responsibility to take up everybody's cross? Why is that? Why is that the case? I would love to see Latinos of their own volition out there fighting for voting rights. I don't see it. I would love to see other groups out there of their own volition fighting for voting rights where we know it's specifically in those areas where we are targeted. When we take our political power that our ancestors fought and died for and bled for and then diffuse it by allowing it to disperse across a variety of issues, we are not maximizing the impact of our power. And we're the only ones making that sacrifice, not everybody else. I understand numbers. I understand proportions. I understand that we're not the majority of the population. And I understand that we, more than anybody else in this nation's history, understand how to play the game of coalition politics. We've played it better than everybody else. That's what's led mm -hmm. to the civil rights advancements that we fought and died for, and that, quite frankly, everybody else has benefited for largely more than we have. Let's just be real about that, no, too. I well, well, I just said... We need to be very real. Uh, uh, Julian, hold on. Julian, hold on. Julian, Julian, hold on. Julian. Wes, I'm going to go to Wes, then Julian. Well, I'll just say this part, this part. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. We had a coalition of brothers and sisters from the Latino community all join, go to jail in Arizona. Literally just last week, there were several brothers and sisters who went down to participate as well, fighting on behalf of voter rights. We have some folks who also be joining days and taking days in terms of uh, advocating for voting rights next week. So again, like just because we don't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Hold on, let me finish. Let me finish, sister. Let me finish. Are they, are they doing it oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to let Wes finish like I told him to finish when you were talking. Then I'm going to go to Julian. Wes, go. 
Yeah. So again, <laughs> just the point. I firmly agree with you. Other groups have to get on board with us. And as we said again, LGBTQ, AIC plus communities, Asian folk, Latino folks, and so forth. But it's on us to not only hold them accountable, but we know black folk have always had to save this country. I'm sorry that that's just the way that it is, but we're going to have to hold these other groups accountable. And I have no issues with doing so, calling them out while still advocating for my people. And as you alluded to, we know that we know coalition building better than anybody because we've, we've been forced to do so. And now it's no different. We have to bring other folks into the tent and we have to make sure that our voice is as loud as it can be. Julian. Yes. You know, there are no rights without voting rights. That's the bottom line. In the earlier segment, Roller, you said I had to pick. So I picked. I'm picking what Avis is saying because it is important. There are no rights without voting rights. We can't get the fight for 15 if we can't get the people who can vote for that. We can't get people the eviction moratorium uh, extended unless we get people who vote for that. So while all the issues that are on the table and the fight against predatory capitalism is paramount, it also the voting rights piece is the... The, the taking of black voting rights is the original, not the original sin, but the original voting rights sin in 1865, et cetera. So, you know, while I respect the brother who's the chair of something, something, somewhere, somewhere, with all due respect... He's chair... I he, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hold up. He's the chair of social advocacy for the 100 black men of America and is a former vice chair of the city council for Charlottesville, Virginia. All right, well, uh, props lifted up, props lifted up. And I chair, uh, I am the dean of a college of ethnic studies, which has uh, Pan-African studies, Chicano Latino X studies, and Asian American studies reporting to me. And what I would say is that these people work well together, but African American folks tend to be at the cutting edge of, of fighting for voting rights. We just have to own that. And we just have to say, I'm not saying that these other issues are not important. I don't say that we have to ride in the tent. But if we have a very short period of time, if we have a month, in that month, can we get uh, the For the People Act passed? In that month, can we get uh, the filibuster eliminated? And I don't hear many of these groups talking about that. Maybe I don't hear everything. You know, I don't run the streets, so I don't hear any, everything. But what I do hear folks saying is, we got to put everything on the table. Reverend Barber is my buddy, a very long-standing, and I agree with him about a lot. But can we sequence this stuff because there are no rights without voting rights? They are! Oh, my God! They can are. you please read... No. Please, y'all, show the video, please. I need you to show the video, read the sign. I can't That's see the That's the sign. Okay, this the sign. No, I, I, I need you to read the sign. If we go, if we go, if we gonna sit here, look, if we gonna sit here and have this conversation, please read the sign. Number one, no, 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 no. Listen, number one on the sign says re, It says in the filibuster. That's number one. Okay. Here, here, look, go, go to my computer. This is the sign from last week. Number two, pass all provisions of the For the People Act. Number three, fully restore the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Number four, raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. Number five, 
permanent protections for all undocumented immigrants. They have established the order. So can we stop saying there needs to be an order when they have one? They have one, it's there, they've outlined it, but it's also the Poor People's Campaign's agenda. So again, if we please stop again, Barbara has been real clear on this. Uh, Kadeem, I saw you smiling when all these credentials were being thrown left and right. Whose chair is and whose chair is and who's a political scientist? Kadeem, go ahead with your comment. Um, what can I say? Uh, I think there there's room for for all for diff many different strategies um, in in the movement. I think yes, we we want to continue to advocate for voting rights is a critical issue, but we also have critical issues facing um, the rent rental community, the renter community with the end of this eviction moratorium, and people are going to be out in the streets in, in, in the weeks to come. So I, I don't want to lose sight of the issues that animate the Poor People's Campaign, which, which is the livelihoods of, of poor people, black and brown and, and white, in this country. Um, so you know, I don't expect the, the Poor People's Campaign to only focus on voting rights when there are so many other critical issues facing poor people at this at this uh, juncture in time. And let, uh, and let me also say this here as somebody who has been covering uh, all of these protests and acts of civil disobedience, do y'all know who's actually had the largest gathering? Poor People's Campaign. So, to Wes's point, to Wes's point, the, if we talk about people. Today, more than 300 people got arrested today. Mm -hmm. Y'all, the mm -hmm. previous acts of civil disobedience, the max was 10. Nine. Mm. Nine. <laughs> Nine. That's wonderful that 300 people got arrested, but we still... Here's my challenge, you guys. Let me just say one other thing. Uh, so the first priority here, as you've laid it, this is an order of priority. The first priority here is in the filibuster. That's number if one. The, if, if the strategy is that we, we put voting behind that, then we'll never even get to that, number one. Let's just be real about that. The filibuster ain't going to be ended. But no, no, but no, 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 Avis, 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 hold up, hold up. Avis, you, Avis, you can't, Avis, you can't, no, hold up, Avis, Avis, this is factual. No, Avis, Avis, wait a minute, Avis. Avis, this is factual. Avis, one second, Avis. Avis, one second. Avis, 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 this is factual. You're not going to get the For the People Act unless you actually do end the filibuster on this bill. My first, no, no, that's not true. There's a, there's another way to do this. What is it? You can cut out an exception. That's what we're talking about. Can, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Because these are two different things. I think we need to be very clear when we are telling the public about what's at stake here and strategy and the strategy to get it. One strategy is completely eliminate the filibuster. My argument with that is I'm not even in favor of that. Why? Because we are not going to be in the majority forever, number one. Number two, I am in favor of cutting out an exception that would specifically protect voting rights which I believe will is absolutely necessary. I agree with you. 
that is necessary in order to move forward on voting rights. You're not going to get... Hey, Avis, Avis. We we have to... If if we end the filibuster, then we better not ever lose another election. Avis, the sign don't... First of all, when you say end the filibuster, they... Okay, as somebody who has talked to the leaders, they understand the carve-out. But you also make the demand of end the filibuster which then leads somebody to say how, again, it's already worked. Them pressing in the filibuster caused, caused Senator Mark Warner of Virginia to, to agree to the carve-out. So, 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 so the strategy, hold up, so the strategy, the strategy is if I ask for the carve-out, hell, they're going to say no to that. So they're no, saying I, if I ask for in the filibuster, then you agree to the carve-out, I'm still getting to number two. I understand, I understand basic power and negotiation. Well, that's what so they're I doing. But what I am saying here, what I am saying is that I'm hearing everyone echo, and I want the general public to understand that there is a difference here that has yet to be expressed. Previous to that point that you just made and that I just made, everybody was just saying, in the filibuster, in the filibuster, in the filibuster. I want individuals who don't live in or around D.C., aren't immersed in this issue every day, to understand the nuances here. What even though that is a good negotiating tactic to ask, you always ask for more than what you expect to get. That's basic negotiation. I wish President Obama would have learned that, okay? No, no, so, no, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. Hold on, Avis. Hold on, Wes. Go ahead. Oh, Avis, hold up one second. One second, Avis. 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 Stop. Avis. I'm going to let you respond. Avis. Stop. Avis. Avis. I'm going to let you respond. Hold on. Avis. Stop. Avis. Stop. Wes is going to talk. I'm going to let you respond. But here's the deal. You talking over him don't mean nothing because can't nobody hear either one of y'all. So, Wes, make your point. Avis, I'm going to come back to you to make your point. Wes, go. So so it's very clear, in, in my personal opinion, you have a very small window when you're messaging to people who may not understand what the filibuster is, who may not understand uh, what exactly we're fighting for. So you have to go for the gusto, if you will. You tell them, we're fighting to end the filibuster. You don't tell them on the front end that we want to fight to just amend it or we want to carve out a certain section, because as Roland alluded to, individuals like Senator Mark Warner, who I consider to be a friend of mine, we've talked about the filibuster on several occasions, Without us saying very boldly and consistently, consistently end it, he would not be where he is right now. And people as our community as a whole, we can educate them on what it is that we're pushing for while still saying in totality we want to end the filibuster because we know it's a strategy. You're not going to get votes in the House, in the Senate, on the state level, or on the local level by going in with the minimum initially. You just said you understand negotiation tactics, then you know that we have to go for the ghost to speak in terms of language in which we're going to cut the head out in the filibuster now so that we can get somewhere else later and we can simultaneously educate our people in totality about what this means. Avis, now go. How is that different from what I just said? I just said that I understand 
the basics of power and negotiation. And I understand that you ask for more than what you expect to receive. But what I also said is that I don't want your viewing public rolling. You have a huge platform. And I kind of think that my people are intelligent enough to understand nuance. Therefore, I wanted to explain to your viewing public the difference between the ending the filibuster and what the repercussions of that would be the, in the broad sense if that actually were to happen versus the carve-out, such that when the carve-out happens, people aren't sitting here saying, oh, God, it's the carve-out. That's not worth anything. I want people to really un understand the backroom politics of this and exactly what we can ultimately expect in order to be able to push forward what we want to push forward without, in the, at the end of the day, coming back and hurting ourselves in the future when we are no longer in the majority in the Senate. I think our people are, are intelligent enough to our understand folks, that. Our folks already know the carve out, Avis. They already know the carve out. <laughs> they already know the carve out because Mitch McConnell did it three times. Mitch McConnell did it. They know the carve out. We're trying to get, and we're trying to get the Democrats to do it. Are yeah, but what I'm, what I'm saying is our people know the carve out. They get it. Are we not trying to get him to do that? So what, I, what I'm saying, though, is that Prior to the, you can say that people understand that, but the point is, prior to me raising this point, this panel to a person was going around saying, in the filibuster, in the filibuster, in the filibuster. All I was trying to do was to speak to my people in a way so they can understand what is actually going on in D.C. right now, such that when the filibuster isn't ended, they might not be so disappointed to say, well, we didn't get that, and understand that there are different ways to get to the end game outside of that big picture thing that a lot of people are messaging around that actually can actually, at the end of the day, come back and bite us in the ass when we are no longer in the majority. People need to understand that. Well, first of all, okay. well, again, as, 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 one, 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 one second, hold up. Hold up one second, one second. I'm gonna go Julian, Kadeem, Omakongo, Wes. Julian, go. Avis, I think that both you and Wes are kind of being, respectfully I say this, but condescending to our people. Our people are not stupid. They understand. Actually, actually, there are a lot of stupid Americans, but go ahead. <laughs> I think that a lot of black people understand this issue. And when you say, I have to explain this, it, because we, we know that the filibuster has often helped us and also often hurt us. I think that people are very capable of dealing with the issue of nuance. I, you know, I'm kind of tired of us in the Washington bubble, assuming, now that I live in L.A., assuming that people outside the Washington bubble don't get it. We get it. People get yeah, it. what I'm saying is that most what people are, aren't, their whole lives don't be Ho, 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 ho. Julian, finish. I, I just think that we need to give black people and other people more credit. There are no rights without voting rights. There are no rights without voting rights. And we have to be very, very clear about that. Kadeem. Well, personally, I, I don't know that I agree that we need to preserve the filibuster in order to uh, preserve democratic power when Democrats are in the minority. I think what we've seen again and again is that the filibuster operates in, in a conservative way. It prevents policies that help 
the poor help people of color from from coming into law becoming law. Um, it, it's not something that Democrats can really wield effectively because the Democrats are often trying to, are trying to push for legislation, trying to push for for progressive uh, measures to pass. We're not we're not trying to prevent laws from getting passed typically, and so I I I, I kind of don't see the strategic value of having the filibuster preserved um, just in case Democrats need to block some type of Republican legislation. I just, I don't really see us, you know, in, I don't see that scenario happening very often. So I kind of think well, that having end the filibuster be our, our, um, our rallying cry, it's a good rallying cry because we're, we, we, we should have a, a democracy that works where the majority in the Senate passes laws. We shouldn't have a, a minority in the Senate um, preventing laws that have majority support from, from becoming law. And I think that that's a principle that should exist whether Democrats are in the majority or in the minority. We, sh we should stand for democracy as a, as a people. And, get, um, and, and guess what? If you pass the For the People Act, you're probably going to be winning as opposed to losing. Oma Congo, you get to make the final comment. I think what has been impressive to me about this, about this powerful debate is that in this conversation, we have members of the academic, the activist, the legal, the journalistic, as well as the arts community as well, who've had an intense debate about the same goal. In a country where people can't have a debate like this without descending to name-calling and other types of vitriol. So I commend everybody tonight for leading the way as it relates to this conversation and for people who don't see how people engage in terms of leaders and how to engage in terms of how we're going to take action. This was like course 101. And I know you do this every night, Roland Martin, so a lot of your viewers are already used to it. But in order to go forward, these are the types of conversations that need to continue. They need it, they'll, they'll get intense, but we all have our eyes on the prize. And let's make sure that we're not losing focus on that because it's all about our liberation. All right. With that, this, se this segment is over. If y'all want to talk over each other, Call each other on the phone. Uh, let me thank, let me thank Kadeem West. Uh, let me thank Omicongo, Avis, Julian. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, we were going to uh, show uh, one of, we actually we have an interview with my book authors. I'm gonna hold that for tomorrow. Uh, and so, cause we are uh, out of time. Otherwise we'd be here till nine o'clock. This is not a three hour show just yet. Uh, it's still two hours. If y'all want to support what we do, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give goes to support the show. Allows for us to be able to live stream uh, the four-hour event today. Allowed us to be able to travel to Austin, Texas. And let me just help y'all out. <clears throat> and again, and I tell y'all, I'm very open and honest uh, about uh, about what we do. Uh, last last week, us traveling to Austin uh, and being able to cover that event from Tuesday all the way through Sunday cost us $15,000, okay? $15,000, and that's travel, that's per diem, that's security, uh, that's our live streaming fees. I mean, that's what it actually cost us. Uh, and so if we were able to get, uh, let's say 300 of our fan club members give an average of 50 bucks each, that covers the cost of that particular trip. Uh, I, I give you these numbers because I need you to understand that the costs are real. Uh, black News Channel is not black owned. 
They got a billionaire, Shahid Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is their uh, major investor, okay? So he's already pumped millions of dollars into that network. Nope, that's fine. That's what they want to do, no disrespect. I don't have a billionaire giving us money. I don't have millionaires giving us money at all. And so I, your support is critical to us. That's one of the reasons why you see me going hard against these companies when it comes to advertising dollars is because I see what they're doing. I see they're spending money on Fox. I see the money they're spending on MSNBC and on ABC and NBC and CBS. And I see the money they're spending on BET and TV One. But the reality is there is no show like this one. You do not have a show uh, that provides you this type of content, the kind of things that we do, uh, the coverage that we provide on the digital side as well, live streaming these various marches. You're not seeing it. I'm telling you right now, Black News Channel wasn't out there live streaming seven hours and actually marching with the folks every step of the way last week in Austin. Neither were the mainstream networks. And so your support is critical to our survival. Uh, and so what we'd like for you to do, and our ask is very simple. Uh, there are people who've given us a dollar. People have given us $30,000. Some people have given us, like I say, it doesn't matter. Our, what we're asking for, our goal is to have 20,000 people in the course of a year contribute 50 bucks each, which comes out to $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, that, that way, boom, 20,000 people, we hit a million dollars to be able to fund what we do, to be able to cover these type of stories. You heard Wes say they're going to be out there Wednesday. We'll be there. They're going to be out there Friday. We'll be there. And so when we talk about this, you know, the equipment that we have and, and, and how we're using this, bottom line, y'all, uh, it costs. That live streaming equipment we have, Live View, uh, we got to pay a fee every single month uh, to use that. That is the exact same equipment that all the networks use. And we're out there. They got the same LU800 on their back. And so uh, we appreciate everybody's support, uh, people who actually uh, give to us. If you, we want you to hit the like button on YouTube, hit the like button on Facebook as well, because all of that impacts the algorithms. So please support us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Venmo is at RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and so we appreciate all the folks who have given to us. We appreciate the folks uh, who uh, continue to support us. There are people who send money to us uh, every single week, uh, and we thank them so very much. Uh, let me go through and shout out Yolanda Elkins. Um, let me shout out uh, Marcel Montanez. Uh, also, uh, Julie Agbasi. Uh, let me also shout out uh, Fabian Quero, Claudia Atkinson, uh, Paula Jones. Thank you so very much. Uh, let me uh, let me shout out uh, Yativa Prather. Thank you so very much, Christopher Hawkins. Yativa Prather actually gave uh, gave to us twice. I appreciate that. Uh, Portia uh, Bright. Thank you so very much. Maya Cameron, Jerry Williams. Uh, anybody who gives fifty bucks or more, uh, then I'm able to. I gave y'all a personal shout out. Yawanda Russell. Thank you so very much. Uh, also, uh, Vanita Douglas, thanks a lot. Uh, these are people who've given to us on Venmo. Chef L. Green, thanks a lot. David Norris, thank you so very much. Uh, Lauren Burke, thank you so very much. Mary Crenshaw, thanks a lot. Leslie Jones, uh, Ernestine uh, George, uh, Anna Ford, Veronica Carter, Barbara Taylor, Lee Williams, Marcel Montanez, thank you so very much. Uh, let's see here. 
Kyle Smith, Kerhan uh, McKinley, uh, Erica Martin, Gail Fordham, Anna For uh, Ford, Dennis Johnson, uh, Bridget Fowler, uh, Revival Health Wellness Council. Thank you so very much. Uh, Angela Terry, let me see here. Andrea Tucker, Joseph Williams, Eric Youngblood, Jason Henderson, Robert Young, uh, let's see, Keisha Lamb, Glenn Gregory, all right then, uh, Gerald Luke, and so I appreciate that, Stephen Fogg, Mark Hudson, those are the people who have given to us on Venmo just doing the show. Uh, I'm just going to read out real quick here. Uh, Keith Jones, Jerry Williams, Maya Cameron. Uh, Omakongo just gave one during the show. Omakongo, I appreciate it. Calvin Johnson. Uh, let me also see here. Inga Jackson. Doo, 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 doo. Let me stroll through. Who else do I see here? Uh, let's see here. Fritz Wise. I appreciate it. Phyllis Bell, thank you so very much. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jenna Ferry, thanks a lot. And Johnny Sadler. So again, I want to thank all of you who have given to the show. Again, if 300 of y'all sign up between now and tomorrow, our trip last week completely paid for. That's the kind of support that we appreciate. Uh, and thank you so very much, folks. Uh, I will see you tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Take care. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.